ask you, if you will, to turn your Bibles first to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. We're going to begin there for a little bit, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So thankful. What a powerful time of worship and testimony, seeing four baptisms. Just God's been good to us and his faithfulness and kindness here at Taylor's First. And we want to, of course, now dedicate even more so this time as we look to his word. So I, I ask you just to consider as we think about it today, the passage that we're looking to, the, the theme of our series now, We the Church. And we discussed it last week on what it means to be a part of the church what our church is to do with what God has given us and blessed us with. And so I've constructed a little sentence as kind of the, the theme or the main idea through these three weeks, last week being week one, today two, and then next week we'll see the last week together called We the Church. And the sentence goes like this. We the church exist to display the glory of God by being built upon and centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ and living generously in a world that is desperate for hope. I believe as we looked at that passage, just summarize the very reason that we are here, the very reason that we exist as a church and as a body. Last week, we saw how we, the church, exist to display the glory of God. And the, the statement was that that is the sole reason we exist. Everything we do is to display God's glory. It is the number one and only reason we ultimately exist. Now, what we want to look at this week and following is how do we display God's glory? As a church displays the glory of God, it must do so by being built upon the gospel and centered in the gospel. And what I mean by must here is it is by necessity. There is no way that we as the church of Jesus Christ can display the glory of God without the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no way. And so what we speak of now is the gospel. We want to make sure we all understand. And so I, I recognize as I've preached this now, it's my third time. So that's why I'm just hitting the ground running. I hope you're all ready for this. Okay, everybody okay? The gospel we say here has four parts to it, basically. God, man, Christ, response. Now, I've done this in the first two services, and they all did fine. But let's say it together, okay? Y'all ready? The gospel is God, man, Christ, response. It's a simple thing as that. There is a God who created everything, the God of the universe who spoke it all out of nothing. And not only he created it all, he set up the standards and rules by which we are to live. And as the crowning jewel of all creation, he created man and woman in his image to rule and reign under him here. But instead of doing what God had called them to do and commanded to do, they rebelled against God's rule. They rebelled against his commandments. Sin entered into the world and because of their rebellion, death. And now the wages of the sin, for all have sinned under Adam, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The wages of that sin is death. But God sent his son to us, Christ Jesus, to save us and redeem us by taking our sin upon himself, the perfect spotless lamb in our place, putting to death, death on the cross, being raised again, conquering it and giving eternal life to all of those who call on his name, which is the response Anybody who responds to the truth of the gospel will be saved. 
And ultimately, that is what the gospel is. God, holy, man, sinful, Christ, the Savior, and anyone who calls on his name will find salvation. And what I'm saying is that the relationship between the church and the gospel is the same as the relationship between fish and water. It is not just that we are built upon and centered in the gospel, it's that we live in the gospel. The gospel is what give, gives us life. The gospel is what helps us to survive. In fact, it causes us to thrive. And so we, don't just are, we aren't just built upon and centered in the gospel, we live in the gospel. The gospel is not a bit of knowledge that we learn and then forget about or set aside. The gospel is a way of life. The gospel is how we wake up every morning reminding ourselves every single morning that I'm a sinner and I don't deserve God's goodness and kindness, but God sent his son to die for me and by his grace I have been saved and I'm going to live in light of that. We proclaim the gospel to ourselves every single day. We live in light of what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ every single moment. And if we can just for this morning and for the sake of this passage, this message, let's look to that Revelation 7 passage. Because as we think about these truths, it's, it's helpful for us, and maybe you've heard this before, to begin with the end in mind, right? Let's look to see where the church ends up. What is it that, that happens and where the church ends up? And so in Revelation 7, John, through this revelation of Jesus Christ, his eyes are open. He sees into glory, into heaven. And it says in verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. As John looks, he sees the church, the church universal, all believers from all time, from everywhere. Everyone who has ever confessed the name of Jesus Christ is gathered around this throne this day. So understand who's in this. These are the Old Testament saints that believed in the coming Messiah and it was reckoned to them as righteousness. These are those in the New Testament like the woman at the well and the man born blind that Jesus touched and gave life and they believed in him. This is Paul. This is Stephen who was stoned. This is the apostles who gathered... These are all the saints throughout all of history that believed during great persecution or great hardship or great trouble. These are all of those from the, the countries where it's, it's not welcome there, such as China or, or even places like India, as, as Pastor Stephen was talking about, where the, the gospel is not central and not known like it is known here, but it's also people from here. This is my grandma and your grandmother and grandfather. This is your family. These are the saints that have been coming from this church who've been, who have died and gone on to be with the Lord. These are all believers from all time, from everywhere, gathered around the throne. And what is the one employment that they will have? They will sing. And they will sing a song of salvation, crying out with a loud voice, salvation. They'll recognize for all eternity they've been saved. They've been saved from their sin. They've been saved from their lostness. They, 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 they no longer are lost. Now they've been found and they've been brought home. Their salvation has come. They've been rescued from what was coming to them under the judgment of God. And so now there's no condemnation, condemnation and they stand before God, righteous before him. They've been saved and this salvation they know belongs to God who sits on the throne. This is not a salvation they conjured up. 
This is not something they made up. This is not something they earned. This is not something they gained on their own behalf. This is not something that they merited in their own righteousness. This is a salvation that came from God. It is a specific gift of his grace and his mercy in their life. It is a gift of what he is giving them. It's not something they have earned. It's a gift to them. This salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne. And then they say to the lamb, not only does the salvation belong to God, they will always be reminded of how they got it. It's interesting here of all the things that the scripture says about Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings and lord of lords. When the saints gather around the throne, who do they see on that throne? They see Jesus as a lamb. And why is that? Because for all eternity, we will always know that the only reason we're in heaven and have everlasting life is because that one right there died for me. The lamb in my place. Salvation, not something I've earned, but a gift from God, belongs to us now through Jesus Christ our Lord who died in our place as the lamb slain for us. All of heaven is there. All the church is there. Everyone gathered singing this thing. And what I want to ask in this passage is how do I get in that group, right? If I'm looking toward eternity and I'm recognizing the truth in Scripture, there really seems only two options, everlasting death or everlasting life ultimately. And here everlasting life is found gathered around a throne with the church. I want to be in that group, don't you? I want to be in the group that's gathered around the throne singing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. I want to be right here. What John sees is a glimpse of what is coming, and that's where I want to be. Now, how do I get there? Through the gospel. Through the gospel. What gets us in Revelation 7, what gets us around the throne is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we want to be there and the gospel is what gets us there, then I want us to look at this passage together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6, 17 through chapter 6, verses 10. Paul writing here in a really incredible passage, one that's probably familiar to most of us. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, 
by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapon, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished yet and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Help us as your people to live our lives in light of the gospel. Father, thank you for the gospel. May it ring forth now so that every heart in this room, every eternal soul here believes and trusts in you. May all respond by turning to Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for your word and your kindness now. Mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I know when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 17, there's a therefore at the beginning of that verse, which kind of means we just parachute into this passage. We just kind of pop in. You're, you're wondering maybe what's there for. So, so just real quickly, let me explain that. There's two letters to the Corinthians. The first one, Paul is writing to them because there's some major issues in the life of their church. From factions to immorality to, to great difficulty that they're facing, there's some major issues in the life of the Corinthian church. In fact, it's quite uh, does my heart as a pastor quite good to realize that, that those early century churches have problems just like the later ones. And some of them seemingly are even worse. I mean, the Corinthians were dealing with some rough things. So Paul sends a pretty strong letter dealing with 10 of those issues that they had. He, he's dealing with them, and he deals with them strongly and intently trying to call them back to faith and pursue after the Lord. Well, seemingly what's happened is in the meantime, there's those who have come around and started questioning Paul's credentials, questioning why Paul thinks he has the right to do that, questioning why he thinks he can speak and, and speak in a way to try to correct them or reprove them. Is he qualified for such things? And so as Paul writes 2 Corinthians, that's really the heart of the letter. Paul is explaining his ministry, what he's been given to from God, what he has been called to do. He's explaining to them about, about how God has called him and he's given them this ministry to fulfill and that's what he's seeking to do. That what he wants for them is their best and what he hopes for them is a gospel-saturated life. And really that's what 2 Corinthians is all about. It goes back, I mean, he even says this back in chapter 2, verse 17. In chapter 2, there at the last verse of the chapter, for we are not like so many. You, you realize that's a little jab on Paul's, Paul's behalf here. Those who are, who are going against him or those who are using the gospel in a, in a wrong way, Paul says we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. Paul says, I have this ministry that has been given to me to proclaim, and I'm not trying to peddle anything to you. I'm being open about what I proclaim, and what I proclaim is a light that can speak into darkness and save your soul from sin. And so Paul says, yes, we have this treasure, and surely I am, he says, I'm no giant. This treasure comes to me in a jar of clay, if you will, in that famous passage. And, and, and yet all of that perplexity and all of those things that come to me, I still proclaim the good news of Jesus. And he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, in verse 11, chapter 5, we persuade others. So here's Paul, been saved by the gospel, been given the ministry of the gospel, and he proclaims others not because of them and what they're telling him to do, but because of what Christ and what Christ is doing. 
So he proclaims Christ for their sake, even when they may be against him. And in the midst of this, Paul is saying, in the same way, the gospel has come to you, and now you are to live in light of the gospel. And so verse 17, the gospel of Jesus has come. And what does the gospel of Jesus do? The gospel of Jesus makes us new creations. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are thankful today to be able to celebrate baptism as we gather. I love being able to celebrate that public profession of faith that we belong to Jesus. I no longer live, but Christ in me, even as we sang it. You saw our t-shirts. It just simply says made new because the testimony of this baptism is that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's what we see here in this passage. Paul is saying when you know and respond to the gospel, then the old passes away and the new enters in. This is the doctrine that we call regeneration, the doctrine of the new birth. You remember that passage in John 3 when Nicodemus said, how can I enter into the kingdom? And Jesus says, you must be born again. The purpose or the the, the visual of that is the fact that because of our sinfulness, we've been separated from God, but it's even deeper than that. Everything about us has been tainted by sin. Our heart is black from sin. Our mind is pursuing only selfish things and selfish motives. Our will is only to satisfy ourselves. Sin has affected our heart, our mind, our will. Every aspect of our life, there's not one part of our life that sin has not sought to destroy. But the gospel enters in. And we must be born again. And the blood of Christ saves us and washes us clean and gives us a new heart. He changes our passions, our desires. He changes our will to point toward him. He's not just interested in what we do, but the very motives and reason we do them becomes to glorify God with our life and with every step. We no longer are old like we used to be. Now we have been made new. Been made new as new creations. Forgiveness of sin is just the beginning of it. We begin to love Jesus with our life. We love him for who he is and what he's done, so we begin to sing. We begin to gather together on Sunday morning and rejoice. We begin to study his word because we love him. We begin to devote ourselves to following him because we love him. And at the same time we love him, we we begin to hate our sin. The stuff we used to love, we've turned our back on now, and we begin to hate our sin. In fact, If you're a child of God today, loving Jesus and hating your sin are like two sides of the same coin, heads and tails. They go together. They go together. It's it's mutually exclusive to say you love Jesus and love sin. Those two things can't work. It can't happen like that. To say you love Jesus is to automatically be saying you hate your sin because it's your sin that sent him to the cross. It's your sin that separated you from him. It's your sin that has brought judgment, but it's Jesus who has saved you. And so to love Jesus is to hate your sin. And and not only to love Jesus is to hate your sin, now you start to live knowing he's going to return at any moment. What we call this is the second coming ethics of the Christian life, right? We live knowing that at any time, our Savior who we love could return for us. I don't know about y'all, but there's a new thing out called cell phones. I don't know if any of y'all have them. But there's apps all the time. There's stuff to do. Some of it's trash and got advertisements. You don't want that. But then every once in a while, there's a good one. Well, I'm going to tell myself in front of Allison right now. Because I I ain't scared. (laughs) This Life360 app's changed my life. No, I'm sure I'm glad that I didn't have it when I was a kid. Right? Okay. I'm glad about that. But now, Allison tells me to do something. And y'all know what I can do? Sit on the couch. 
You just sit on the couch and then you watch Life 360. When she gets about a mile away, you just pop up and start doing it. She thinks you've been doing it for an hour and a half. <laughs> Works perfect. Sit there and rest, pop up, get it going. She comes in, she tells me to do something else and I'm done. I don't even have to do it anymore. That's how we live when we know when somebody's returning, right? We just kind of wait to that last minute. Well, that's why God didn't tell us when he's coming back for us. Because we would have some idea that we could think we could deal with this at the last moment. But in our passage, it says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. We don't tarry for another moment because Jesus may return at any moment. And when he returns, what will he find us doing? Hopefully, by God's grace and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will find us living for him as new creations. As new creations. And as new creations now who, who are living for him, as Paul says it to the Colossians, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We put on righteousness and holiness and patience and kindness. We send away what is awful. That's passed away. Now we put on what is good. We become new creatures. And who is this? Who's available for this? Paul wants to make it clear that the, the gospel is for anybody and everybody. If you go back just one verse, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, the gospel comes for those who may be from a different country, different skin color than you. They may have disabilities. They may have different languages. They may have whatever it is, but the gospel's for them too, for it's for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And understand this. If you are here today believing that you may be too far gone for the gospel. I'm telling you, you don't know the power of God and his son, Jesus Christ. For no one is too far outside the power of God to change a heart and change a life. For God said, as he says here in 2 Corinthians 5, we're talking about the God who spoke light out of nothing into the darkness of this universe. He surely can speak light into your heart. And so here he says, anyone can come and call on his name and become a new creation. And when you become a new creation, then you are reconciled through your regeneration. Now you are reconciled back to God. I, I want to be clear here. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Your greatest need, my greatest need, period. I'm not talking about your wants. I'm talking about your needs. Your greatest need in this world is to have your sins forgiven. For it is your sins that has separated you from a holy God. It is your sin that has put you under his wrath and his curse. It is your sin that has separated you from the love that God has for you. And your great need is to have your sins forgiven. And you don't have the power to do that. You can't do that in and of himself because you're the sinner yourself. But God can. And he has come to make you a new creation and reconcile him, you back to himself. Through Adam, all sinned, Paul says. So sin is passed down and that sin has separated us from God. But God is reconciling those who believe in the gospel back to himself. He's made you qualified to enter into his family because you have a new heart and you're a new creation and he's welcoming you into his family by reconciling you back to himself so that you can be around that throne in Revelation 7. You can be a part of his family. This is what the gospel does. It changes us and makes us appropriate before God by giving us a new heart, by being born again, and it reconciles us back to him. And in the heart of this, he says, in the heart, this is where we must all begin. This is what I mean when I say we must be built upon the gospel as a church. 
Anyone who's a member of this body must know that they are a member of this body because God has saved them through Jesus Christ and made them new. That's the only way to join through salvation and belonging through what God has done through Christ. It's the first and foremost way. I want you to understand when I say that. There are many in the world that like to argue against that. There are many who want to say, well, well, how can you say that? There's all kind of religions and there's all kind of places. But if we believe what the Bible says is true, we need to recognize that there's not going to be anybody getting to heaven after they die and going, who is that when they point to the throne? I've never met him before, right? No, we're all longing for the day that we see Jesus again because that's the Savior we've been waiting for. That's the one who died for us. And so we have been reconciled back to God been made a new creation through the gospel. And anyone, anyone who calls on his name can be made new again. What is this day? He says it's today. When is the time? He says it's now. But that's not it. Now is the gospel made us into new creations. The gospel also deploys us as ambassadors. The imagery here is important. To be an ambassador is be a spokesman for something, right? To be one who, who stands up and speaks on behalf of, of something or another. I, for one, am an ambassador for naps and bacon, right? I speak on behalf of those two things. But there's more to it than this. The ambassador's position is the embassy. An embassy is a piece of sovereign land of one country in the midst of a hostile nation or another country, right? And so I think the imagery here that Paul gives is, yes, we are ambassadors that speak the gospel of Christ and proclaim him, reconciling others back to himself, but we also see the church. The church is the embassy of God. Here we exist as an embassy of the gospel in the midst of a hostile territory, of a world that does not like the gospel and does not know God and does not know his son, Jesus Christ of a world that persecutes those who believe. We're an embassy in the midst of it. So as ambassadors, we gather here at the embassy to get our orders as to what we proclaim and what we preach. And that's what Paul is saying here. And how are we to live as ambassadors? How are we to live? First, you see in chapter 6, verse 3, we must endure hardships as ambassadors for Christ. He says, as we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. You see, if you're going to be a good ambassador, you need to recognize that to proclaim the kingdom of God in a hostile place is going to require endurance and perseverance. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to have problems. And, and though some of these do not maybe you know, compute with us because it's not necessarily our context. I can promise you, I can promise you that there are places in this world where afflictions, hardships, imprisonments, beatings, and riots are happening even now for those who believe and preach and proclaim the gospel. They're happening even now. So if you're going to be that ambassador, you must be ready to endure whatever hardship comes. Because just as we know, if you see when trouble brews between our country and another country where we have an embassy, the first thing that country does is take over that embassy, right? It's what they're after. So they're going to go after the church, which is the embassy of the gospel in the midst of darkness. The embassy of light of the gospel of Christ in the midst of a dark place. And so we must be ready to endure be endure, endure. Paul says we're like jars of clay. We're afflicted. We're perplexed. 
were persecuted, were struck down. All of these things were like jars of clay. But even though, even though those difficulties come our way, all of this is to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not ourselves. That this treasure we have is the power of God within us of the gospel of Christ Jesus. So while we're afflicted, we're not crushed. While we're perplexed, we're not driven to despair. While we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. While we're struck down, we're not destroyed because God's power is on display even in our weakness. As ambassadors, we endure because God's power is in us on display for his glory. As ambassadors, we must live holy lives. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, he says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. We display God's glory as new creations by living holy lives in a world that is unholy. By living holy lives in a world that is unholy. Here, Paul comes to it again, just as Jesus did, returning to this theme again because it's important. It's not just that we do the right thing. It's that our motive and our intention should be to glorify God and display his glory in our life. And so we, we, we should live like this. And how he puts the Holy Spirit right here in the midst to teach us that what he's calling us to do is just display the gifts of the Spirit in our life. If you're going to be a good ambassador, you must live before God like you're saved by God. Like you're saved by God. And third, he says, we must speak truthfully. Not only live holy lives, we speak the truth we speak the truth. He says this in verse 7, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. If people are going to believe us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they need to believe us when we say anything else as well. And understand what I mean by speaking the truth in love here. By speaking truthfully. Oftentimes, y'all ever had this, this uh, I, knew a, I knew a couple of these ladies. They were a little bit advanced in years, but they would always say something, some of the meanest stuff and then they say, I'm just telling you the truth. You know what I'm saying? And you know, you respond that way. No, you're not. You're lying. You're just being mean, you know? I'm not talking about being mean with the truth. I'm talking about living our life in such a way that people believe us when we proclaim the gospel. People believe us with the truth that we, believe, we hold fast to. Would people believe you if they told you Jesus has made a difference in your life? Here he says, we must be believable as his people. We speak the truth. As James puts it when he talks about speech, he says, can fresh water and salt water come from the same spigot? Y'all know what a spigot is? Everybody got that? The answer is no. You can't praise God and curse him at the same time. You can't sing praises to his name and then only honor yourself at the same time. He calls us to live truthfully by praising him and honoring him with all of our speech. And if we're going to be good ambassadors... We got to endure, we got to live holy, and we got to speak the truth. That's what I mean when I say we live out the gospel. The gospel affects all of these things. The gospel teaches us that we have salvation and we have life, and it's coming to where we will have it eternally with Him in heaven. So I can endure whatever comes this way, knowing the glory that awaits me in heaven. The gospel teaches us that. That God has forgiven our sins and our trespasses and he's wiped those clean so now we can live holy before him and honor him with every action, with every thought, with every deed. We pursue that. We live holy as he is holy. The gospel tells us that we don't need to lie or be peddlers or be underhanded with the truth. Now we can speak openly and clear to all who have believed because we know the truth is the word of God. The gospel teaches all of these things as ambassadors. So we are saved 
regenerated, reconciled to God, and now we are ambassadors proclaiming his goodness and living for his name through the gospel. To live out the gospel will be a paradox in this world, friends. Notice how he ends this. I love, I love how he ends this passage. That second half of verse eight. We're treated as imposters, yet we're true. We're unknown, yet well-known. We're dying, but we live. We're punished, yet we're not killed. We're sorrowful, yet we rejoice. We're poor, yet we're making many rich. We're having nothing, yet we possess everything. You see, what the gospel does is it does not measure ourselves against the worldly standards of what the world offers. The metrics of the gospel are found in the gift that is the gospel itself, Jesus Christ. Our value is not found in anything that this world measures. Our value is found in the fact that our Savior has died for us and lives within us. Our value is found in him. So just as our king became a servant, just as it looked like he was conquered on the cross and died, we know on the cross he was victorious. Just as it looked like failure there as his, his message came and they hung him on that cross, we know that the cross was the greatest success in all of human history because what Jesus did on the cross was he took the sins of his people, verse 21 of chapter 5, and he took those sins and he wiped them away so that Jesus secured the salvation of anyone and everyone who would believe in his name. The greatest success is what the world saw was failure. And so what we offer... What we have may be a paradox to the world, but it's true. And we live and we rejoice. And though it may look like we're poor, we are rich because we have a Savior in Christ Jesus. The church is built upon this truth. The church is centered in this truth. Taylor's First Baptist as a local body of believers in this town, in this community, is an embassy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an embassy of God's truth in his light. That we as his ambassadors gather together, rejoice and sing from our king, proclaim his name, hear his word, and we go out and live for him as ambassadors. The baseline for this is that you believe and trust in Jesus with the, your life. You believe the gospel that he died for you, that he rose again and he can give you everlasting life. He makes you a new creation. He reconciles you back to God and you become ambassadors for his name. That's who we are. The gospel is not just something we talk about. It's where we live. It's where we breathe. It's where we find our joy, our hope, our heart, the gospel is life to us. And our desire is to proclaim that gospel everywhere. As good ambassadors, I would encourage you, church, to endure with patience, to live holy, and to speak the truth to all you see. As you have been reconciled, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me encourage you to thank God for the position he has placed you in to be an ambassador for his name and to live it. If you're here today and you don't know him, there's a truth about God. His gospel is free. It wasn't cheap. It cost his son his life and he's the lamb that was slain forever. We'll know it, but it's free to us. And anyone who calls on his name shall be saved. And maybe today that's you. 
For so long, you've taken it for granted. Maybe like some of these who were baptized. For so long, you thought you had done something for your own benefit and your own help. But now you realize Christ is everything. You want to give him your life. Maybe that's today. Let's pray together. Father, help us today, every single eternal soul in this room, to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Salvation is from you. So unless you move, God, no one moves. Unless you work, God, we still sit here. But God, I pray. I pray, Father, that you would work now. A wonderful Savior we proclaim. A glorious Christ we exalt. One who can change every heart and every life. And may everyone in this room know you, love you, and follow you. May the gospel be their life as we live as ambassadors for your name. If you're here today and you need to respond positively to the gospel and trust in Jesus, I'll be here to receive you. Others are waiting to receive you. If you want to join our church and be a part of this embassy for the gospel in Taylor's First Baptist, we would love to have you. I'll be standing here in front as I sing along with you this morning. Let's stand together.